and I'm standing there in the parking lot like an hour before my gig, and I have leader hosing on, and they're saying, well, we're going to fly you up to, to L.A. to audition for Rob Halford. Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews, we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. So I want to welcome my good buddy Bobby Jarzombek. Uh He is the drummer for Spash and Bach. He plays with a million other bands. Uh, he started out with the Riot. He played for Rob Halford forever. Uh, he plays in Fate's Warning, and he's also in a really awesome polka band. Are you still in that polka band? Polka band, come on! <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so what's the story about how you got into the music business? I mean, I, I know a little bit of, of your professional story, but w- what made you want to become a drummer, and what made you decide this is what I want to do for a living? I grew up in the 70s, and it was pop music. Pop music was big in the 70s. Great songs. And me and my brothers, we, we became sort of fans of, of AM radio. I mean, back then. I know you're too young to know what <laughs> AM radio is. <laughs> Come on, that's not fair. <laughs> And so we grew up with radio hits of the 70s, and we were fans of it, me and my two brothers, Ron and Ralph. We really wanted to play music at that point, and my mom, for that Christmas, she got us a little cheap organ, you know, like a two-octave, three-octave dunk organ, and a toy drum set from Sears. I remember that was $14, and it was just, you know, a piece of junk. So my brother that night at Christmas was already playing songs like from the little music book and learning like just basic patterns, you know, within a couple of days. And so within a few weeks or months, my mom asked him if he wanted to take piano lessons. And so he said, yes, he did. And he was a natural for that. And so he started doing that. Right at about that time, me and my other brother, Ralph, we didn't show that much interest in the drum set, but she asked us if we wanted to take drum lessons, or she asked me, and I said, yeah, I guess, maybe. And so she signed me up for drum lessons at a music store downtown San Antonio, Alamo Music, and I started to take drum lessons. And the teacher was a good teacher. I don't remember his name. But he was a pretty good teacher, and I started to learn my rudiments, and I started to learn some drumming stuff. That sort of led me into listening to the pop music that I liked, and my mom bought me a drum set and then a piano. So we had a real piano, and we had, you know, like a $150 Maxitone drum set, which had a snare drum, a bass drum, and a mounted tom, and a cymbal. No hi-hat. I can't even remember what I was playing time on or what the <laughs> hell I was doing. <laughs> but that's what I played drums on. And so me and my brother played songs together, and we listened to the radio. And that's how we sort of got into music, was listening to you know our favorite 70s stuff. 
and playing along with it. My brother went straight from piano to guitar, and so we went from that into bands like Kiss, Rush, UFO, Scorpions, Ted Nugent, and we really started getting into music. So that's how it kind of graduated from that. So then we sort of had a trio between me, my brother playing guitar, and my other brother playing bass. And then we had a little trio going. And and is, did you know you wanted to do it professionally at that age? Like, is that is was that when you started doing that for real? Is that like, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Well, I was 10 when I started playing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was until I was about 14. I remember I was like a freshman in high school. I think it became more important to me at that time. The first few years of playing drums, it was just a fun thing. It was where I'd go out and play some sports. But I think when I got about 14 years old and I was in high school, it was like, I want to play drums. And that's what I really want to do. And the music, I mean, there was a lot of great music that started to come out. And it was it really affected me at that point. Mm. And, and I think that's when I got serious about music. At what point did you start touring for real? I guess your your biggest break into the industry is it was with Riot. But did you tour with any bands before that? It's a weird thing. Right out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't go to college, and I didn't really have a trade or anything. And I had a English teacher. She played violin, fiddle, whatever you want to call it, in a country band. And she asked me to play in her country band. So I started playing country music. So I was playing gigs with a country band when I was a senior in high school. Like, I'd play on Friday, Saturday nights, and then go to school or whatever. And I was making $50 a night playing Friday and Saturday night. Like, I had $100 in my pocket. Who in high school has $100 in their pocket every weekend? I mean, every week going to school? Nobody. And so, (laughs) so I felt pretty good about that. And so as soon as I got out of high school, I started playing with country bands. And then I got with a band that was signed on the chart on agency, which is an agency out of Dallas. And it was a Sandy Powell show. She was a singer. We toured throughout the United States in a bus. And that was like right out of high school. I mean, we were opening up for Reba McIntyre, Lee Greenwood. We did shows with George Strait where we were billed above George Strait. We did festivals (laughs) at that point. I have flyers of that. I actually have like tour programs of that still today where it's like 1984 and we're billed above him. A bunch of country artists and we did a lot of shows. I did that for a couple of years and that's uh, where I sort of made a little money and it just established that this is what I wanted to do and I could do it. And I started to love the music, but there was always that want to play hard rock and metal and the music I grew up with. And my brother was with a band, S.A. Slayer, it's not L.A. Slayer. And I really wanted to do metal and I really wanted to play the music that I grew up on in addition to playing country music and that's when I joined Juggernaut in 1986 that was my first metal sort of thing uh, which was Juggernaut was a local San Antonio band that was looking to get a record deal 
That's funny because I just I know you as a metal drummer. I know just from talking to you that you play a lot of country music now. Just but it's just interesting to me because it's a, such a dichotomy of of how I'm used to watching you play. It's hard for me to picture you doing that. The thing is, when I first started playing country music was when I was a senior in high school in 1981. I didn't really like the music until I don't think I did. It's it's not that I didn't like it. I just didn't know what it was about. Like to me, when I listen to jazz, like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or something, I can appreciate that some people know what that's about, but I don't know what that's about, you know? Like, I really don't. I still don't. So at, at what point did you, like, really dig into the metal stuff? Because that's what you're known for. I mean, you, you know, you, you're a country drummer, too, but, you know, everybody knows you for, from playing with Sebastian, from playing with Halford. When you really became known for being a metal drummer, like, at what point did that happen? You know, I think it was sort of when the the new wave of British heavy metal, when that came out, growing up in the hard rock thing in the late 70s, police, I would say, and, uh, you know, early Scorpion stuff, UFO, when it became real metal, when it was Accept and Raven, there were a lot of bands, Saxon, that sort of thing, when it became real metal and double bass, I really wanted to be a part of it. So I really studied and played along with all that stuff. And that's when I really sort of honed my double bass chops. There were a lot of things about the music and about the drumming, I think, that were exciting to me. And so that's when I really wanted to be a part of it, mm. a part of the scene. And that's when Juggernaut was looking for a drummer. So, you know, we get to do all the kind of cool traveling that a lot of people wish they could do. What's the coolest places you've gotten to play? What venues, what countries have you been to that you've just loved? And Japan has always been great. Everybody says Japan. <laughs> it's like everybody's for go-to. I've never been there, and I'm just, you know, waiting for the right time. Yeah, well, I guess we've never been to Japan together. We, we've but, only you know, done, we, I've only been to Europe with you, and that was just for those one-offs. You know, everything else has been U.S. or Canada. I think I always say Japan first because it was my first. It was my first country other than the United States. I mean, we never even went to Canada with Riot. We went to uh, Japan with Riot in '88, and I still remember. This is before the internet. We had no idea as Riot how big the band was in Japan. They flew us into Japan. We were going to do five shows. I think it was like Osaka, two Tokyo shows, Kawasaki, maybe Nagoya. I'm trying to think what the other one. There was like five shows. And uh, we all flew in together, but they had like a, a production meeting with the techs the day before. And then we had sort of a light meeting or whatever. And then they, they uh, the techs went before us to the hotel. And because they flew us into Tokyo, but the first show was in Osaka. So we did meetings and that sort of thing in Tokyo. The techs were waiting for us in Osaka. I remember we were just in a regular bus, like a regular charter bus or whatever. And there were, you know, the five band members and, you know, and they, they drove us in. And there were like 200 Japanese people hanging out outside the bus, going crazy. And we were like, what the hell's going on out here? You know, we didn't know. And 
the techs come on the bus and we're like, what's going on? Is this some kind of crazy, like a wedding or, you know, like some event, some kid event, you know, like, and the tech said, this is for you guys. And we were like, what are you saying? There's 200 people out here, 200 kids out here. And they're saying, they're here at the hotel because they know you're going to be here at this Osaka hotel. And we flipped out. We could not believe it. And we got off the bus, the five of us. I mean, we had no really respect in the States. I mean, we had a great record with Thundersteel, but we we had no idea. You know, we had this kind of following in Japan. We got out of the bus, and they shoveled us to our, uh, to our rooms, and they had all these gifts for us. And we came back down, and we said, you know what? We've got to come back down and see the fans. And we signed autographs for hours and hours and took pictures. It was the craziest thing I think I've ever been a part of is seeing that initially. Yeah, well, that, a lot of people say that about, you know, when you go to another country, there's rock music in the States is just not as big as it is other places. Yeah, it's like a, they have a whole different respect for it. Well, I don't, I don't think they, they follow trends as much. And I think a lot of times in Europe, there's a lot of stuff that's handed down from parents I'm not going to be totally biased and, and make a big statement or anything, but I, I think kids listen to their parents a little more and are, are influenced by their parents' taste and are objective to it. In the States, there's a little bit more of that rebellious attitude towards your parents. That sort of thing has always existed in Europe where they're a little more respectful as far as music, and they don't follow that as much, which is a big thing here. But that that was a crazy thing. And, and Europe has always been better for a lot of the bands, you know, whether it's Riot or Fate's Warning or, you know, Sebastian to a certain extent, you know. So uh, what's the coolest venue you've got to play? Uh, Rock and Rio, uh, twice, Madison Square Garden, twice. The first time I did that was with Halford opening up for uh, Maiden in 2000. It was on the Maiden Queensryche Halford tour in 2000. Rob did a full day. I guess it was MTV. Maybe it was VH1 at that time. I'm not sure. But he did a whole daily event. It was like Rob Halford at Madison Square Gardens, and there was, like, updates throughout the day. It was cool because it was, like, I didn't even really know Rob that well at that time. It was only, like, the fourth or fifth show in the tour. We did, like, warm-up shows with Halford when I first went out with him, and we did a couple of Canadian things, but that was one of the first big shows, and Rob was out there every day, with the video people and audio people and doing the simulcasts throughout the day. And then we played that night. That was pretty big. What's the uh, craziest story that you can tell that won't get you fired or me fired? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> Man, I could tell... You know, I could tell stories, but... Oh, uh, yeah. man... 
1999, I didn't believe you were going to bring this up. That's pretty <laughs> weird. Uh, in 1999, I was uh, I was looking for gigs like everybody, you know, uh, that was a little bit out of work. In San Antonio, there's Oktoberfests. Mm-hmm. There was a guy that had a band that was doing sort of regional work, and he hit me up. There's some sort of recommendation that I was a drummer and I could read. So he asked me if I was interested in playing in his polka band doing Oktoberfest throughout the two months from October, November, sort of, in that area. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I went to a rehearsal, and there's a bunch of charts, a bunch of German waltzes and polkas and some Latin things or whatever. And so I read the charts and learned the tunes and and I got the gig. But then I found out I was supposed to wear the lederhosen and do all this other crazy sort of... He had a lot of skits in his show where it wasn't just playing a bunch of songs. So there was a lot of sort of... I had to learn a xylophone part and we did a little trade-off and I played a crazy washboard and it was a crazy time and I did this Oktoberfest thing. It was cool. It was because people love that stuff. You know, they're drinking and they're having a great time. So I did the gig and and right at that time it was when Halford was looking for a drummer and I was recommended for the Halford gig and I was doing the Oktoberfest gig and I was wearing my lederhosen and I had already submitted my, my poem pack for the Halford gig and I got the call from John Baxter, Rob Halford's manager, that they were going to fly me up to LA to audition for Rob Halford and I'm standing there in the parking lot like an hour before my gig and I have lederhosen on and they're saying, well we're going to fly you up to <laughs> to L.A. to audition for Rob Halford. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that part. Yeah. Oh, man. That's well, 100% true. <laughs> That's how it went down. It was 1999. <laughs> I said, hell yeah. And so they sent me the songs. And so I had to learn like 24 songs in like four days. And they flew me out there. And, uh, and I did the rehearsals with that Alfred. I did a, cu- a couple of days with the band and Alfred came in and watched me playing and saw me. I was still reading charts cause I just barely learned the songs. And after uh, doing the, the rehearsal, a couple of rehearsals with the guys, Rob came in and, and watched it and was like, let's go to dinner. <laughs> and I was like, I had no idea what was going to happen. And we sat, me and Rob, uh, we went to uh, Granada in uh, Burbank. And we had dinner, and Rob sat behind, uh, right in front of me. And we started talking about San Antonio and the metal scene and all that and whatever. And I asked John Baxter, I said, well, you know, like, what do you think, you know? And and. And he says, I think you got the gig. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Well, what advice do you have for people looking to get into this industry? You know, that's interesting because I followed my own path and I like the path that I followed and I like the result that I'm at. 
But I think everybody sort of second guesses what they could have done different or better. I mean, I, I love my life. Mm-hmm. I don't have regrets because I, I, I got to share the stage and play on several records with Rob Halford, which if somebody told me when I listened to Sad Wings of Destiny the first time in the later 70s that I was going to play in the same band with Rob Halford, I would tell them that they were crazy. <laughs> like, I would never believe I could share the stage with with somebody like Rob. Mm-hmm. It would just blow my mind. And then later when I see, saw Sebastian Bach, you know, doing, you know, monkey business on MTV, like I was going to play with him later mm-hmm. in my career, I would say, there's no way. It seems so far-fetched to play with somebody that's a rock icon, or even with a band like Fate's Warning, which is an amazing band, which I always admired. So I I don't think, uh, as far as my musical career, I think I have more personal um, regrets about my own, I don't know if it's education as a player, but I wish I had a little more technical schooling because I'm schooled on my own. I learned to read music basically from high school band and I learned to chart music and I learned to do things my own way to make it work for me. And it's got me great gigs doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm totally happy with my playing, but I wish I could have had a little more education in, the, in music. Mm-hmm. I think if you're young and you're 19 years old, 21 years old, get a little more schooling in music, you know, pick up the guitar, pick up the keyboards, you know, if you're a drummer, just try to get a little more schooling because it's always going to help you later in music. A lot of, a lot of those little things are going to matter. And always, always work with people, learn to work with other people. Be a team player, be a team player. Don't look out for yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. Be a part of the, the whole process. It's the band, it's the techs, it's the the whole entourage. Be a, be a team player. Totally agree. Well, Bobby, thank you for talking to me today, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to get back on the road in October because uh, I'm going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of us. Yeah, man. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. All right, Ryan. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Bus Call If you like the podcast, please rate and review us Wherever you get your podcast If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us At patreon.com slash buscall Patreon members will get The podcast a week before it's released to the public And they can also sign up to have Advance notice of who's going to be on And the opportunity to ask questions Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. As you know, with COVID-19, basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future, and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work, and we're donating all the profits, many of the merch sold there, straight to Crew Nation. Thanks so much again, and please rate, review, and subscribe.